this is John Swan, and I'm your host today for this special bonus edition of The Hive Jive. This bonus episode is brought to you by Wicked Bee. This is the first of several bonus episodes which will be scattered throughout the season. For each of these episodes, we will go and take a topic or subject matter from one of the main podcast segments and laser focus in on it to give you more detail about that specific subject matter. For our very first bonus episode, we have chosen none other than Her Highness, Her Royal Majesty herself, the Queen Bee. Believe it or not, the queen bee starts off no different than any other bee inside the colony. That's right, she's the same as every other female bee in there at the time of birth. What changes this, though, is actually dietary restrictions or constraints. Now, all of this seems to hinge on one specific substance. We call it royal jelly. It is a thick, bitter, viscous, white substance that is a glandular secretion from the nurse bees. Every single bee at the stage of birth from the egg to the larva actually gets fed the royal jelly in small amounts over the course of the first two to three days of their life. However, the queen bee gets fed copious amounts of royal jelly for her entire developmental stages. This means, unlike other bees, she is not fed brood food, nectar, or honey. She only gets a steady diet of royal jelly. Due to this discovery, most people attributed the royal jelly with all of these wonderful mystical qualities. If this substance could take a regular bee and turn it into this marvel of nature that is the queen bee, then there must be something really special about that royal jelly. So they started taking the royal jelly and they started putting it into all kinds of stuff. I mean, we could have super babies, super chickens, you name it. All we needed to do is feed it copious amounts of royal jelly, right? Well, research in 2015 actually showed that it may not be what the queen eats that allows her to turn into the queen, but rather the absence of what she does not eat. It was found that there's potentially some substances inside the bee bread, which is pollen that the bees have fermented to create their own food source and make the proteins and minerals and nutrients inside that more readily available, nectar, honey, and the combination of these things that is then called brood food. Something inside that combination actually stunts the female bees in their developmental cycles so that they become the workers that we know of now. With the queen never having consumed these things and only eating royal jelly, she is then allowed to fully develop into the queen bee. These developmental changes that the queen experiences as she goes through her larval stages and into pupation make her almost anatomically completely different from a regular worker bee. She's actually allowed to grow larger. She's missing certain mouth parts that the normal worker bee has. Her stinger comes out where it is perfectly smooth, which means she can sting and she can sting repeatedly. And she has different internal organs inside of her body. Some of these organs are dedicated to making pheromones, which she then uses to help regulate and control some of the other behaviors and attributes of the worker bees inside the colony. But she also has an organ called the spermacatha. Now, this organ is a little, it almost looks like a little white pearl. And that is what allows her to then be able to mate and store the reproductive material from the mating process. 
One of the other interesting developmental aspects to all of this is that the entire pupation cycle, while all these changes are going on and while that larva is evolving and morphing into an adult bee, that process itself is actually super truncated. It's very short compared to the regular worker or drone bee. From the time the egg is laid until the queen emerges from her queen cell is only 16 days. That's not very long, especially considering how long it takes for the other two classes of bees to actually grow and evolve. So the queen goes through all these magical changes. She has these extra parts. She's bigger, she's stronger, she's got a longer lifespan. She's got all these things that make her so unique and so valuable. And then finally, on that 16th day, she chews her way out of the cell and she emerges as a fully developed virgin queen. Now, right from the get-go, when she emerges out of that cell, she starts doing what's called queen quacking or piping. It is an audible sound that you can physically hear if you're paying attention and you're near your hive or right up by the hive. Now, the quacking or piping, I'm gonna, I'm gonna totally make a fool of myself here, but it actually sounds like this. Meep, 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 meep. Meep, 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 meep. I know, right? <laughs> the first time I ever heard it, I was like, what the hell is inside there? Is there like, is there a mouse in there? What is that? Um, I've also had uh, several queens inside the house sitting on a counter in their little queen cages, and they all started doing this back and forth. And at first, I was staring at the ceiling fan thinking, man, that thing must be loose. There's a squeak up there. <laughs> nope, it's just the queens doing their queen quacking or queen piping. Now, the point of this, she may be doing this when she first comes out. It seems as if it's a triumphant victory cry and it's, you know, haha, the colony is mine. I'm your new queen. But it's also a battle cry and it it's twofold in its purpose, because while she does this, there are other queens in the colony in other cells. That's right. When the workers raise a queen, rarely do they ever raise just one. They don't ever put their eggs all in one basket. They will go through and raise multiple queens in case there's a problem with this one or this one has a disease or there's anything that happens to it during that developmental cycle. They then still have other viable options. Now, the first queen to emerge kind of gets the luck of the draw. She does the quacking and the piping claiming this is her kingdom, she's going to rule over it. But the other queens will actually respond with their own quacking and their own piping. When they do this, unbeknownst to themselves, they're actually signing their death certificate. The queen that has emerged will follow those sounds to the queen cells where those other queens are still trapped and have not emerged yet. She will chew a tiny hole in the side of the cell and then sting those other queens to death. So there you have it, right there, day one, first day of her life, and suddenly it's turned into Game of Thrones. <laughs> the ruler, Victor, shall rule all. So she goes through, she hunts down all the queens, kills them all so that she can be the sole victor and then the new queen of the hive. In instances where another queen emerges at the same time, perhaps several combs away from where the first one did, they will then hunt each other down 
and it will become a battle royale, and they will actually fight to the death. So the strongest queen ends up again, being victorious and taking over the hive. It's all nature. It's just that's how things work. It's the cycle of life. It sounds brutal. It sounds like an episode out of Game of Thrones for sure, but that is just the way that nature works. And by doing this, they then know that the strongest queen is the queen that's going to be leading that colony. So we need those attributes. We need those qualities in there. Once she has sought out and dispatched any potential rivals inside the colony, the queen then takes a few days, she gets pampered, she gets fed, she's really kind of finishing the last little bits of her development and becoming sexually mature. Contrary to popular belief, the queen does not actually mate inside her own colony. She leaves the colony to do this mating ritual. Um, she never actually mates inside the colony with her own offspring or her own siblings, and she really only does the mating part once in her life. These are nuptial flights or mating flights where the queen will actually leave the colony and she does this over the course of anywhere from one to three days. She leaves that colony and she flies off in search of what's called a drone congregation area. Now this drone congregation area is basically the equivalent of a bunch of horny teenage guys hanging out looking for a virgin queen. Now I know that sounds, that sounds bad, that's not couth, but uh, it is actually the truth regardless. And as the queen flies through this drone congregation area, the drones then race after her to compete and be able to actually mate with her. If they do successfully catch her, they actually mate in flight. And she will mate with anywhere from 15 to 20 plus drones over the course of these three days. Once the queen feels that she has satisfactorily completed this promiscuous phase of her life, she then returns back to the colony, and that's actually where she will stay, barring a few other circumstances, but that's where she's going to stay then for the rest of her existence. She does not need to go out and mate again. Those mating flights provide her with enough genetic material that she can actually fertilize and lay viable eggs for up to five years under the best circumstances. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement, especially in, in just period, in nature, it's, it's amazing. So you've got this organ that we talked about earlier, the spermacatha, and it actually stores all of the semen from the drones and it keeps it alive and it keeps it viable so that she does not have to continue mating throughout her life. She then has everything that she needs and she can go through and fertilize those eggs. Now, the act of fertilizing the eggs itself is another one of those marvels of nature. The queen bee actually has the control of being able to fertilize an egg, in which case it would then become a female bee, or to lay an egg without fertilizing that egg, which will then evolve into a drone. It is the queen herself and the control over the genetic material that actually allows her to choose if it needs to be a boy or if it needs to be a girl. That is something that is really unique when it comes to anything in nature, but insects and things like that, they're, for as tiny as they are, they're honestly just amazing critters, 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 they're critters, <laughs> amazing critters. Now, at the peak time of the season, the queen bee can actually lay up to 2,000 eggs a day. 
a single day. It's mind-boggling to think of how many eggs she can actually lay in her entire lifetime. But this is crucial because the mortality rate of the other bees is very high. You can have anywhere from 100 to 1,000 bees dying off every single day, either from old age or from injury or disease or predators and pests. Um, she absolutely has to be able to, you know, just knock out these insane numbers so that she can keep the colony size and the colony strength up throughout the season. While she's going around through the colony and she's choosing whether or not to lay boys or lay girls, she is also emitting pheromones from those other glands and those other organs inside of her body. And those pheromones help control the colony by doing different things. They, one, let the rest of the colony know that the queen is there, that she's healthy, that she's fully mated or mated well. All of these different things that they need to know about the health and state and well-being of their queen is communicated through these pheromones. One of the other pheromones that she produces actually goes through and inhibits the development of the ovaries inside the other workers. So while they don't have the spermacatha and they don't have some of these other things, they do still have ovaries. The regular worker bees do have ovaries and they do have the ability to lay eggs if those ovaries are ever fully developed. Now, as long as there is a queen in the colony, that usually never happens. But if you were to take the queen away from the colony and let those pheromones dissipate, after enough time, some of the workers in an act of desperation will actually go in and they will invigorate those ovaries and they will fully develop them and attempt to lay eggs in an order to save the colony because they know there's no queen present. Now, it ends up being a fatal act on their part. They never can mate because they're not a queen bee. Their body is not actually designed to mate. They don't know how to mate, they can't mate, and they don't have the actual spermacatha organ to be able to store the genetic material if they did mate, which means the only thing they can lay is going to be drone bees. That's that's basically a death sentence at that part. So that's all. It all goes back to those pheromones and the pheromones inside the queen and how they interact and how they work with the colony. That queen, that's pretty much it. She's there. Now, the only time that she may leave that colony is under one of two circumstances. One, during swarm season, if the colony decides that it has enough food and it has enough resources and there's plenty of bees, they may decide to swarm, which is the bees version of doing a reproductive split of the overall organism and going off to create a new colony. When that happens, the original queen, the mother queen, actually leaves the colony with 50 to 75% of all of the other workers inside the colony. That means that the new queen is gonna be one that the original colony then raises to replace the original queen. So that is the one time that she will actually leave the colony after mating is if they are going to go through and they're going to do a swarm and do a reproductive split, the queen will actually leave and she will go on with the rest of them while the ones left behind will raise a new queen and that queen will then take over and she will become the new queen mother of that specific hive. That's a lot to think about, right? I know, see? That is why we chose this topic to be our first bonus episode. And that's why we're gonna have these bonus episodes going throughout the season, is so that we can drill down and focus on a specific topic and give you as much detail as possible about that topic. And it's something that we can actually do in these little segments 
that allows more time for more conversation and more broad scoping things during the podcast itself. So I hope you've enjoyed this very first bonus episode, and there will definitely be more bonus episodes to come. Our next bonus episode that is coming down the pipeline for you will be a life and times focus of the worker bee. But before that, Ken and myself will see you on the next full episode of The Hive Jive.